This is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Larder Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new used or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. In times of great peril, the world must call upon the services of a singular individual. Welcome to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'm waiting to be impressed. The greatest adventurer who ever lived has been recruited to find a madman. He's called the Phantom. To stop him, you must need a team like nothing the world has seen. Eyes open, boy. Can't protect you all the time. Dr. Jekyll, at your service. Cheers. Extraordinary gentlemen, indeed. And women. Our transportation has arrived. You have four days. And the game is on. This year. So what are we dealing with? Unstoppable assassins. Eyes open, boy. Can't protect you all the time. Indestructible! 20th Century Fox invites you... Take the world! ...to discover an adventure... I'm gonna have a great mission! ...in a league of its own. Surface! Sean Connery... I doubt you measure danger the way I do. The League. That was naughty. Just say, show me the Carfax. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com. And be sure and check out our website. There's a lot of cool stuff on our website. There's a, a link to our past shows on our podcast. Be sure and go to Facebook and give us a big like up there. And, hey, we have another radio giveaway tonight. So the 11th and the 13th caller, if you call in this evening, I have two sets of tickets for this week's spectacular event in Orlando at the Ritz-Carlton Festivals of Speed. As a matter of fact, you had to run to the computer after you Google our website. Go check out FOS, which is Festivals of Speed. And they got a number of events that take place here. As a matter of fact, we're going to have somebody on a little bit later this afternoon talking about that. So at any rate, the 11th and the... Well, the phones are ringing already. That's a good thing. Anyway, the 11th and the 13th caller will win two tickets. These tickets are $20 a piece. So this is a $40 value to go to Orlando. The only thing you have to do is get yourself from here to Orlando on Sunday for the big events. You're going to see spectacular cars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Porsches, muscle cars, classic Cadillacs, Duesenbergs, Packards. You never know what's going to be there. Vintage boats, cool motorcycles, and a lot of really interesting people. So at any rate, be sure and do that. Also, be sure and jump back to our website and go to our one little section. We simply labeled it Stuff and buy a T-shirt. We got T-shirts there for sale. We still have a few left before my next order, and we have decals. Okay, so anyway, Billy, how are you doing this evening? You sitting there? He's got to get his earphones on. I was checking out this uh, song that you want to have queued up here. 
Oh, the one from Dave Mason? Yeah, and you can hear loudmouth out here. I can hear. <laughs> anyway, boy, we got a lot of stuff going on this weekend. As a matter of fact, this weekend, we've got a number of things going on. PRI is also taking place. That's Performance Racing Industries at the Orlando Convention Center. And tomorrow at 8 o'clock is the big breakfast. And guess who the guest speaker is going to be? Who's the guest speaker? The guest speaker, besides Dave Despain from Wind Tunnel, will be the Dave one. Dave Despain. Dave Despain, yep. The one and only. Wait a minute. John Force. So if you guys are big-time drag racers, top fuel guys, John Force will be there tomorrow. So, like I said before, PRI, SEMA, cool shows. The one way to get in there is just show up with your occupational license at the door, and you're in like Flint, man. It's a cool, cool venue, okay? Amazing people. Also, Sunday, Webster. So if you're still a swap meet junkie like I am, be sure and check out. Uh-oh, we broke something. <laughs> anyway, check out Webster. Start there early because you might beat me. But you got to get up pretty early to do that, okay? Hey, if you uh, are tuned into the computer, okay, and you've got our website on, and you see me here in the studio, be sure and look behind me here. A big shout-out and a thanks to my buddy, Dougie, at the sign shop, who did this spectacular banner for me. Every time I look at it, I'm just highly impressed. It's cool. Okay, actually, I don't have to twist my neck to look at it, because I can see it on the computer. <laughs> anyway, give Dougie a call at the sign shop if you need a sign, a poster, decals, anything of the nature. 727-392-4852. That's 727-398-4852. Also... A big shout-out to our friends down at Hollywood Wheels and Auction. Don't forget, their big auction is coming up in West Palm Beach at the West Palm Beach Convention Center, March 21st through the 24th. So if you want to consign your car to a really cool first-class auction, give them a call. Okay, their number is 1-800-237-8954. That's 1-800-237-8954. And give my good friends down there, Flo, Kelly, Hook, and, of course, Mikey, a big uh, a big hug when you see him, okay? Nostalgic Radio and Cars was filmed in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> you know what? It's funny you're playing that theme song from MASH because back in college, I actually played in that play, and I was Radar O'Reilly, if you can imagine that. Now, you know, I mean, I, had, I was wearing some pretty dumpy clothes, but uh, I played the part. I fit the part well. And another big shout-out and a thanks to my buddy Ted H., okay, over in uh, Largo, because uh, Ted was uh, nice enough. He helps me out with my big turd excursion, my excursion, my diesel, when it kind of acts up. But today I had to mount a, switch a set of tires on there, so now i got uh, all four tires the same size. So I want to say thanks to my buddy Ted out there. Ted, if you're listening, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Anyway, hey, let's go ahead and uh, run this song. Let's get our caller on the phone, the first caller for the evening, because we have two, not one, but two callers. So... Wait a minute. I'm not sure that's the right one. Is that it? This is along the watchtower. The first minute and a half is like really slow. You can't, can't even get into it. Really? No. You, was that the, no, try to find the studio version. I tried to find it. I had it. Come on. This is good right here. No, this part's too slow. Just go. You know, the record scratch. I'll oh, forward it a little bit like this. Like here. No, that's still too slow. How about right here? Right there it is. Well, actually, it's Dave Mason's rendition of All Along the Watchtower, which is actually a pretty cool song. But no, that's the uh, live version. All right, so that'll me... work. All right, I'll call your guest. Call our guest.
Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, all things motorsports, with the most legendary and fascinating people in the motorsports world. As a matter of fact, we have one coming on a little bit later this afternoon, but right now, we have our guest, Joe Sabatini. Joe, are you there? I am here, my friends. How are you? How are you doing this evening? So, you are the big cheese promoter and kahuna <laughs> with festivals of speed. How about that? Well, I guess if you tell me, I am, absolutely. Okay. Well, why don't you tell our listeners all about festivals of speed? Because we've been giving away some tickets, and we've been pushing it, and we're telling everybody on the planet about it. So, now it's your turn. Well, festival of speed, uh, basically what we do is we bring together a gathering of the world's most exotic cars, aircraft motorcycles, go-fast boats, that type of thing. Anything that was fast, both vintage and contemporary. We're uh, we're all about fun. You know, we, we bring in the serious cars, but it's a relaxed, fun environment for everybody. And uh, we've been doing it for about 10 years, and uh, we love doing it, and we want to do it for another 100 years, hopefully. Well, now, this is your baby. You basically started this little thing because you came you're, – you're from the Orlando, I guess, uh, Mount Dora area. So you have this really cool little Italian restaurant, which you could plug if you wish, because <laughs> I ate there one time, and it's excellent, okay, I might add. And, uh, oh, awesome. And then, uh, let's see, what was it? I think you started the car show there many, many, many years ago. So Festivals of Speed kind of evolved out of that little car show in Mount Dora, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely it did. Um, we've got a restaurant there. Uh, we've had that restaurant 19 years called the Palm Tree Grill. And I opened up an art gallery about 11 years ago. And all of a sudden, one day, one of my customers walked in and said, Joe, you got a ton of Ferrari paintings and vintage automotive racing paintings. But you seem to be the only guy that really loves them and collects them. He said, maybe you should be in the car business. I said, well, why don't you find somebody that wants to buy all these beautiful paintings? Because I love them. But, yeah, you're right. I'm stacking too many on the walls here. Ferrari Club came into town and said, listen, we're going to bring about 50 guys into town. You have this gallery with all these Ferrari paintings. Why don't we do a cocktail party? I said, okay, well, we'll throw a cocktail party for you guys. We pulled the permit, put about 65 beautiful vintage and contemporary cars all around the, the gallery. And uh, basically, at the end of the night, we sold a ton of Ferrari art, and they said, hey, you throw a good party. Would you like to throw more parties? And uh, I said, absolutely. I said, but I need somebody to help me cover the cost. It's expensive. And uh, they said, well, go to Ferrari, get a sponsorship. Tell them we told you to do it. And the local dealer did, Ferrari Central Florida. And that was 11, 12 years ago, and they've been with us ever since. And we've added Lamborghini, Rolls-Royce, Bentley, Aston Martin. It goes on and on. Wow, that's great. So it just started out as a little party. Now it's a big party. Now you've got a number of events around the state. You've got one there in, is it Howie in the Hills there at the Mission Inn? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a great event. That's 
that's a beautiful, beautiful event. We put them right on the fairway. You know, it's uh, the cars look so beautiful on a on a perfectly manicured fairway. And uh, you know, it's very quiet out there, but you have deer on the fairway and bald eagles flying by. So it's uh, well, the same sponsors do that event that do all of my events in uh, Miami, St. Pete, Orlando, doesn't matter where it is. And but the people really enjoy that one. That's that's a lot of fun, and it's kind of right in my backyard. So you know. It kind of tugs on my heartstrings, that event. I love that one. Now, the one in Miami, that's at, uh, is it at the Epic Hotel? Is that where it takes place? Yeah. That's, so, a, that's a really incredible event, too. Man, that, that, that's what I call as a boutique event. Mm-hmm. We don't do 250 cars. We handpick about 55 of the world's most exotic. Uh, like, for example, Pagani flew in the new Waira from Italy with Horatio Pagani, the man that built it, to do the East Coast unveiling at that show. So we did 55 cars on the Sastro Turf lawn, and we had all these, you know, Rolex and uh, all these high-end watch companies and wine and jewels, and it was a lot of fun, but very relaxed, very laid back. We never get stuffy with our events. And then right alongside the, the Astro Turf, we had all the docks filled with huge yachts. So everybody was able to come out, eat, drink, and be merry, look at the cars, look at the yachts, check out the watches, check out the Ferrari art, Lamborghini art, whatever it is, and have a good time. So, yeah, Miami's a lot of fun. So it's not only the cars and the and the planes and the boats and the jewelry and all the other cool stuff. It's actually the venue itself. I mean, it's the, the location, because now the Epic Hotel is number Absolutely. one. Absolutely. The Ritz... Carlton in Orlando, which is, that's where this weekend is. Now, this is the biggest one that you do, correct? Yeah. Orlando Ritz-Carlton right now, seven years in the making, is uh, one of our largest events. Last year, we had 18,000 ticket holders come through the gates. It's a beautiful, beautiful property, and uh, we're just really happy with it. So now, are you gonna, are you going to add any more locations to your venue? I mean, are you going to do? Are you going to go like look at other states, for example? I mean, you're looking at maybe uh, California, Las oh, Vegas. Absolutely. Okay, so you. Yeah, this... Our main goal, actually, believe it or not, we've actually done one of these. It was a boutique event, just mm-hmm. like Miami, about fifty-five hand-picked cars. We did one of these at the World Financial Center in Lower Manhattan. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, yeah, and that was oh, that was an. Just what a wonderful place. We did it about three years after 9-11. I worked in Manhattan most of my life, and, uh, you know, that was something I wanted to do after 9-11. And uh, got with the Department of Homeland Security and put all all security together. It worked out really well. Displayed the cars. Everyone had a great time. And believe it or not, we were right there, and we had about uh, five or six big yachts. Okay. So that was very similar to Miami, but about 1,300 miles north, basically. Now, tell us about the jet port. How does that? Now, that's tomorrow. That's Friday night, correct? Yeah, the jet port reception is a lot of fun. And, and this, in particular, in 10 years of doing this, this should be probably one of our best, or I'm pretty sure it's going to be our best. Now, um, I hear there's what gonna... we do is we take an okay. active aircraft hangar at Orlando International, and we'll have about 800 guests, and we'll feature vintage and contemporary aircraft, cars, motorcycles, and race boats, believe it or not, on the big trailers there. But we've got B-25 bombers, the Killer B, that saw active duty in World War II. I have a C-47 that took part as a gunship involved the June 6, 1944 invasion of Normandy. I mean, we've got some aircraft here. I'm, I have to tell you, I'm a Warbird fanatic, so I'm, I'm ecstatic about it. I love it. Now, last year, I understand you had a uh, P-51 there, Mustang. 
I don't think there's been a year we have not had a P-51 Mustang. Okay. You know, P-51 Mustangs are the reason uh, that we were so successful back in those days escorting the B-17 bombers over Europe. They were long-range fighters, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, incredible Rolls-Royce Merlin engines in there. Some of them have Allison engines as well, but a lot of the Rolls-Royce guys love the fact that we had the big Rolls-Royce motors in there. But, yeah, it's incredible display of aircraft, so we're really thrilled about it. And we're really big with the whole vintage thing. We we love to bring out those aircraft. I mean, we've got Goldstream, and I've got Falcon 50s and Hawker 900s, and they're incredible. And, and I love that, but I really like to pay homage to the vintage aircraft, especially you know, back in the day, we have World War One as well as World War Two aircraft. Now, what about uh, charity? Is there any kind of a charity benefit going on as well this weekend? Oh, absolutely. Well, we've done, you know, every event we do is always charity driven. Okay. So in Orlando, um, this is the Arnold Palmer Hospital for Children. They've been with us for seven years. And, uh, of course, absolutely, it's a great cause. So, I mean, what more could you ask for to support a children's hospital? I'm a father of three sons, so, I mean, I completely relate to that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we try to do whatever we can to draw attention to and raise funds for them. Well, that's super. So this is going to be a spectacular event, and everybody out there listening, you need to be in Orlando. Uh, you know what? I'll tell you what. I have an extra set of tickets, so we already gave away four this evening. We've got two more tickets left. I'm sure, Joe, you don't mind if I give away two more tickets, right, for this weekend? Uh, so I've got the next I, the next guy that calls I'll in. I'll even more than that if you want to. Okay. All right. You heard him. Okay. So i got a couple sets of tickets left. So the next couple of callers that call in... Okay, you can win yourself a set of tickets to go to Orlando this week on Sunday at the Ritz-Carlton. And mind you, it's a spectacular event, and yours truly will be there judging cars, right, uh, Joe? Absolutely. We're okay. looking forward to seeing you. And <laughs> if right. you want two pairs for the, uh, the jet event, you just let me know. Give them away. Okay, I'll do that. All right, you heard that. All right. So anyway, hey, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on the show this evening. Meanwhile, I know you got to get up uh, early tomorrow because you got to start setting things up here for this weekend at the uh, the Jetport and at the Ritz-Carlton, right? I'm actually at the Ritz now, and then about uh, probably half an hour from now, we're heading to the airport to start measuring for that B-25 bomber. Okay. Well, that's super. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. I'll be there all day Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I should have the song, Putting on the Ritz. <laughs> Putting on the Ritz. <laughs> yeah, you should find it real quick. Well, keep on talking. Ask him about one more thing. All right. Hey, what about your website? Anything particular on the website that they need to know about? I mean, as far as uh, other than the usual, get tickets, got the information, uh, the upcoming Everything's events. on there. It's uh, festivals with an S, festivalsofspeed.com. You can go on there. You can buy your tickets on there for all three days of events. We still have a few tickets left, believe it or not, for my wine dinner on Saturday night as well. Okay. My jet, my jet reception almost sold out, but I still have tickets available there. Of course, now, general admission, really not a problem for Sunday because we take 550 acres of the beautiful Rich Carlton, so we've got room for it. Okay, super. Now, wait a minute. Now, what about you? Are you going to be catering any food at this because uh, you got that spectacular restaurant there? Are you guys going to be doing any of that, or is it all... Uh... Yeah. Outside. Yeah, okay. Palm Tree Grill, absolutely, our northern Italian restaurant. We're a humble place, but great food, and we've been there 19 years. Anybody wants to come out to Mount Thora, just you know, ask for me. But uh, absolutely, we'll be there with the northern Italian station. Not even a question. How about you? Are you going to have one of your cool cars there? <laughs> nah. Hey, listen, I've got cool cars, but there's bigger fish in the sea. Trust me. So we like to, <laughs> we like these guys that have the spotlight. Okay, we got that song? Go ahead. Let's play Putting on the Ritz for Joe Sabatini <laughs> and Festivals of Speed this weekend at the Ritz-Carlton. Joe, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Hey, Ross, you and you guys, I really appreciate it. You have a great night. Okay, take care. Bye.
Putting on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz. Putting on the Ritz. Commercial time, right? Yes, sir. And then call our next guest. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72, plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsport, 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, a.m. 1340. Bob Varsha, our esteemed announcer. You know, so far, every member of our broadcast crew, Matt Stone, Mike Joy, April Rose, Ralph, Justin, we've all done Feel the Steel, a little game where we blindfold our expert and then have them feel their way around a car trying to determine the year, make, and model with nothing other than a sense of touch. Bob, how do you feel about this? I'm not sure how I feel about this, actually, Steve. As you mentioned, I'm the only guy not having done it, which means I effectively hid for the longest time. But now I'm found out. And I may soon be found out even worse. That's right. It's been three or four years you've been able to weasel out of this thing. Now That's it's right. time. you got to do it. Right. I can't pull rank anymore. i gotta, got to go do it. All right. Here we go. Let's hold you up. Going to jump on the cart? Jo- uh, I'm not jumping <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> okay. Just walk straight ahead. And your hand is now on the cart. Uh, golf cart. 1989, <laughs> I think. Not yet. Not yet. You're not getting close. there. You're close. Wow. Okay. There you go. Watch your head. There you go. There you go. Have a seat. Go for a little ride. Okay, and we're going to do the thing. Walk to your right, slowly, some short steps. There you go. We're not near the car at all. Just going to go straight in. And then, uh, as you know, we're going to put your hand on the eighth pillar of the driver's side of the car. Right. And then uh, when we say go, don't move any fingers or anything. We're coming close. When we say go, we're going to have you begin. The hand is on, but again, don't move hand. Just leave yep. it right there. Okay. I don't get to put both hands on? No hands. 
Okay, minor hints. This is a, a European, a saucy, zesty European import. It's a two-seater. Are you ready to feel the steel? As Go ready to. as I'll ever be. Feel the steel. All right, convertible top, two-seaters, so it's two doors, and to the front. Oh, man, round headlights. Mrs. Robinson. Uh, oh, oh, my goodness. Uh, it's an Alpha. It's the movie car. It's the uh, Alpha Spider, the graduate. Yeah, Spider. There it is. You got it. You got it. You felt the steel. You got it. You take the glasses <laughs> off. Have a peek. Oh, can I keep the car? <laughs> I can't keep the car. Oh, you can the bid car. on it. You can bid on it. But, Bob, you did it. Cool. You felt the steel. You're part of the crew. You've been part of the crew forever. I got but... my stripes. Yay. Yeah. Cut the commercial. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, this is Danny the Count Coker from Counting Cars out here in Las Vegas. And I love listening to nostalgic radio and cars. <laughs> I think I drowned him out there at the last second. <laughs> I was trying to come in with a music bad and a Danny Coker. Here, wait a minute. I'll hear it again for you. That way you, can, that way you get the full effect of it. The guests to get the full effect. Hey, this is Danny the Count Coker from Counting Cars out here in Las Vegas. <laughs> and I love listening to nostalgic radio and cars. And you better listen to them, too. That's the way it's supposed to go. <laughs> you know, it's live radio. Anything's possible, okay? That's the cool thing about it, you know, which is okay because afterwards I'll have to digitally edit the show. But anyway, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And, of course, we gave you a little clue there, a little hint. Uh, this gentleman is well-known. He's the racing world as far as a commentator. And he can be seen on TV every week, and he will be starting the new season on Speed, covering F1, and, of course, the, all the Barrett-Jackson events. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the show Bob Varsha. Bob, are you there? I am. Good to be back with you guys. How you doing? <laughs> Sorry for the delay. <laughs> but anyway, sometimes we got to throw in our little antics here. But uh, So how you been? I've been great, thanks. I must correct your introduction in one small detail, however. Okay. You won't see me doing Formula One on speed next year. That uh, series is going elsewhere. Really? David and Steve and Will will be over on NBC, which will be the host broadcaster for F1, beginning next year for the next four years. Yeah, speed's uh, out of the Formula One business. Really? That's disappointing. <laughs> Tell me about it, my friend. Jeez. So now what are you going to do? I mean, you're still going to cover Bear Jackson and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. We'll still be doing Barrett Jackson, still be working and contributing to uh, to Speed Center and uh, Wind Tunnel. And I'm going to move over to uh, the Grand Am series, the Rolex Sports Car series, in anticipation of uh, sports cars merging. The American Le Mans series and Grand Am will be one beginning in 2014. And uh, hopefully it'll be uh, good for everyone. Well, then I'll see you probably for certain at the, what do they have, the Roar before the 24? They always have that at That's Daytona? Right. Yeah, we'll okay. be there for Daytona testing and then for the Rolex 24 itself. And then, of course, in March, the uh, Rolex sports cars go to Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, which will be a big thrill for them and for us. Well, wow. Now, what do you think of the merger? Because I, mean, I guess uh, the France family, uh, you know, the, the NASCAR people now mm -hmm. have acquired Road Atlanta and Sebring. Okay, uh -huh. so now they, like you said, they've incorporated the ALMS and the Grand M series, which there was a reason for that, right? Because ALMS runs in Europe, they're FIA cars, where the Grand M are strictly relegated to the United States, correct? Well, the Grand M cars, yes, are a creation of the folks at NASCAR. It's a uh, simplified two-class format. Um, but the ALMS, uh, they are similar to the cars that run in Europe. The ALMS fashions its rule that book after uh, the rules for the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the Automobile Club of the West that runs that series. So I think it's been pretty clear in recent years that both series have sort of suffered uh, by having competition. And 
as a result, I think it'll be a good thing if the two series combine, resources can be combined. Of course, the devil will be in the details in terms of the class structure and the role of manufacturers. And uh, they are distinctive series in many ways, and bringing them together, I'm sure, is, is not an easy task. But uh, hopefully everyone will benefit by higher car count and better shows everywhere, including television. Do you think it'll bring more marks? In other words, you know, it's pretty much dominated by Porsche, and you've got Chevrolet in there and Ferraris in mm-hmm. there now. Do you think it'll bring some other marks in there, into the racing scene? I think it very well could, especially if the TV package is good, if the fans turn out. You know, uh, sponsors and manufacturers are out there to attract eyeballs, and if they see that there's an attractive series that gets a lot of competition and participation and great racing, uh, yeah, I think they'll come in greater numbers. But again, the... The key thing is going to be how much the manufacturers are allowed to do, and that's one of the key differences between the two series. In the American Le Mans series, companies like Audi or Toyota are able to bring over their full-on, high-tech, multi-gazillion dollar Le Mans special prototypes, Um, but those cars aren't allowed to run in a series like Grand Am. So we'll have to see what happens. We know there is going to be a class for the... um, the Delta Wing, that one-of-a-kind car that ran at Le Mans so well with Nissan Power until it was bumped off the track in an incident. Um, I suspect there will be one, probably two prototype classes, uh, perhaps as many GT classes, and uh, and hopefully uh, everybody will join in and uh, it'll be fun for everyone. Is there a limit? Now, the GT class is probably the most, the largest field, okay? Um, right. Do you think is there is there a limit to how many cars can run on the track in that particular field during that that race? I don't I don't really remember. So help me out here. No, there aren't. Um, uh, of course, you know it's a good problem to have if you have too many cars. Uh, mm-hmm. That hasn't been a problem in the past. It's more defined by um, how many uh, pit slots you have on pit road. Obviously, everybody has to have a chance in endurance in endurance racing to make pit stops and driver changes and all that sort of thing. So that will be more the defining factor. Uh, the folks at Le Mans have a, have a set field of 55 cars every year. It's usually defined by having enough pit slots and enough cars so that everybody, I, I forget the number, I think it's one car per 100 meters or 200 meters of racetrack. Um, but as I say, the more the merrier, and, and hopefully that'll be a problem that they'll have to deal with is too many cars. In Grand M slash ALMS racing, usually you don't, you, there's usually the, the owners ha- feel just one car. It's very rare that they have more than one car. Is that true or false, or am I? No, that's that's not typically true. Um, obviously, there's uh, efficiencies in numbers, although Rob Dyson, a longtime car owner in sports car racing, once famously said, two cars is twice the trouble and half the fun. Hmm. But it does allow you to accumulate a lot of engineering data. And uh, although there are a number of one-car teams out there, I think several teams uh, in Grand Am are striving to put two cars on the track. And a, and a big outfit like Target Chip Ganassi Racing with Felix Sabatis has put as many as three out there for the big Enduro at uh, Daytona, uh, certainly two for the six hours at Watkins Glen. So I expect we'll see a number of multiple car teams out there next year. Now, when you cover this these events next year, where will you be based out of or will you be on site on the tracks? I will be on site. We'll we'll have the regular team. It'll be the usual speed team of announcers, uh, just me replacing Lee Diffie, who's going over to cover Formula One on NBC next year. Uh, So that's that's an upside for me as I actually get to go to the racetrack again after many years of covering motorsports from the studio for Formula One, Le Mans, MotoGP, things like that.
Well, that sounds exciting then. Yeah, definitely. Now, yeah, I'm definitely excited about it. How about Europe? Are you going to be able to go to Europe as well for some of the European events? Well, we'll probably go over to Le Mans at least to do our prep work. I expect we'll actually call the race uh, from the facilities we have at our studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we have more resources more efficiently at our disposal. Um, but, um, no, I don't anticipate any other European events other than that. We are going to be doing the 12 Hours of Sebring on speed this year, and we will be doing the Petit Le Mans, which previously had been on another network, but they're coming back to speed for next year. So we're looking forward to that as well. We'll have basically all of the top sports car endurance races on speed. That's great. That's great. Um, is David going over with you? No, David is going to uh, be a contract player at NBC. So I'm afraid our our 25-year partnership is uh, is going to be split up for the moment. Uh, hopefully he and I will be able to get back together in time. But for now, he's... He's an NBC Formula One guy. Okay. And he's, he's fine with that? I think so. Okay. You know, it's, uh, you know, covering the world championship is about as good as it gets for a journalist, just as it would be for a driver who participates. So, you know, I, I'm sure it was an economic decision that, uh, that led Formula One to go to another network from speed after 17 years, and I get that. And, uh, and I certainly don't blame any of my fellow announcers uh, who had the opportunity to go there and and cover Formula One on NBC. Um, but my career path lies with Speed and the Fox family of networks. And we'll have um, virtually all of our current team on the sports car side back, guys like Calvin Fish and Dorsey Schrader and Brian Till and Justin Bell and Jamie Howe and so on and so on. So I'm looking forward to that because in the past I'd only gotten to work with that group a couple of times a year, and uh, now it'll be more of a every other week kind of thing, which I'm looking forward to. How about Sam Posey? Is he going to join your team from time to time? That's still to be determined. Uh, Sam, uh, I just found out, in fact, this past weekend on the final Formula One race of the year that Sam would like to continue. You know, Formula One fans know that Sam has has written and voiced uh, the essays that we use as a, a tease in television talk uh, to get us on the air and to uh, put perspective on things. And Sam tells me he'd like to do that for more of the series on speed. I don't know if he's got any gig with NBC, so uh, I'd be more than happy if Sam turns his writing talents to other forms of motorsports on speed. But as I say, that's that's uh, yet to be determined. Let's jump to the Circuit of Americas, the race mm-hmm. in Austin, Texas. Now, tell us a little bit about that. Give us a little preview of, because it's a brand new track. And as you put it, it hasn't cured yet. So give us a little, uh, kind of build a picture in our mind a little bit so the, the, so the listeners have an idea of what, what that track's like. And it's very technical, well, correct? It is. It's a, it's a fabulous track. It's about 3.4 miles, almost 3.5 miles around, designed by Tilken Associates, the famous German engineering firm that has built seven other Formula One tracks around the world. It is uh, a spectacular facility. It's it's brand new. Uh, it had a difficult gestation. There was some falling out among the, the financial backers of the track, and the construction stopped for a while. But they pulled it all back together, and the track was done and ready in time for Formula One. And uh, the drivers loved it. The teams loved it. It's, it's really the first purpose-built permanent road racing circuit here in the United States for many, many years. Um, uh, that excludes tracks that are built using a high-speed oval and an infield road course like Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This place was designed as a road racing circuit from the get-go. 
Um, the surface is state-of-the-art. All of the facilities are state-of-the-art. Um, but because it is brand new, there were, you know, oils coming to the surface of the new asphalt and so on. It was a bit slippery. Pirelli chose to bring very hard tire compounds to the Formula One race because they were concerned that it being the next to the last race of the season, they didn't want to be accused of, of being a factor in the championship battle between Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel by providing a perhaps quicker, quicker degrading tire, giving the drivers a little more grip and a little more speed, but at the same time perhaps causing an incident that would affect the championship. So they went very conservative on tire compounds, and that contributed to a lot of the slipperiness in the racetrack uh, early on. But with time and weather uh, and more racing, uh, the track will rubber in and develop a personality all its own. It's got some wonderful corners. Your listeners have probably heard that turn one is very distinctive. Uh, just a couple hundred yards from the start, the drivers go up a hill that's more than 100 feet in height. And at the top of it, they have a heavy braking area for a sharp left-hand turn, which leads to a downhill right-hand high-speed sweeper and then into a series of increasing radius S-turns, uh, and then to another tight hairpin, which leads them onto a three-quarter-mile backstretch. And there are just a number of corners that pay tribute to other famous corners at circuits around the world, including the four apex turn nine at Istanbul Park in Turkey, uh, turn one, very much like the, uh, the Osterreich ring, now known as the Red Bull ring in Austria, uh, the quick S's, very similar to the uh, Beckett's Maggots Complex at Silverstone or Suzuka, Japan. Uh, just one, one corner after another that's really reminiscent of the best in circuits around the world. So as I mentioned, it, was, it, it met with huge acclaim from the Formula One teams. And um, so American racing fans really have a jewel of a racetrack to, uh, to have fun on. Let me ask you a question. Now, I saw the beginning of the race, and, and Vettel got out there pretty quick, and I guess his teammate did. And then, was Hamilton's car that much faster than Vettel's car? I mean, it, he just, like, ran away and hid from him there after a while. When he finally caught I mean, he lapped him and caught him. I mean, and, and of course, you know, we're sitting here watching it on TV. I mean, was his car that much faster, or is he that much better of a driver? What advantage no, did he have? It, it, the McLaren team definitely hit the setup for Lewis. Um, he had a quicker car, and I think Vettel knew it. Uh, he wasn't lapped, but... He knew he had to keep the quicker McLaren behind him, and he did that successfully. As you may know, in Formula One, there's a zone known as the DRS zone, the drag reduction system zone. If one car is less than a second behind the car ahead, it activates the ability of the driver to open the rear wing elements, which eliminates some downforce and drag, and gives that driver better top speed, which can give him a little bit of, a, of a help in getting a run on the car ahead. And it's produced some spectacular racing in Formula One this past season. Well, Vettel knew that uh, that the McLaren had that in their pocket, so he had to struggle to try to keep the McLaren more than a second behind him. And on one particular lap, I think it was around lap 55. No, I'm sorry, it was probably earlier than that. The race was only about 56 laps long, but he got delayed. Did Sebastian Vettel behind a slower car, and that allowed the McLaren to close up, and Hamilton got him. Mm -hmm. uh, on the next straightaway and made the pass using the DRS. And, and it was spectacular, just one of dozens of terrific passes we saw during the course of the race. But uh, it was a fair fight, and uh, Hamilton and McLaren bettered Vettel with uh, Alonso in third. So we had those three great champions all up on the podium together. Now, Michael Schumacher, one of my favorites, was kind of lagging back there. Now, he was also in a Mercedes. Mm -hmm. What uh, what made his – is it his just – is it – 
his driving ability, or is the car just not that fast? I mean, there was some little on-track drama going on there a little bit between mm-hmm. him and uh, um, I'm trying to think who it was. One of the other drivers, there. I can't remember, but um, the the Finn uh, hot, hot, was it? Well, you you tell Jimmy, us, Jimmy Raikkonen. Yeah, yeah. Raikkonen. Michael had a number of battles. Now, Michael, in his return to Formula One after a three-year layoff, he's had three years back in the sport that he began back in 1991, the longest career in Formula One history. It hasn't been everything he had hoped it would be. He holds every record for uh, for achievement, 91 victories and seven world championships. But in these past three years with the Mercedes team, although it brought his career full circle, they just haven't given him the car to fight with. His teammate, Nico Rosberg, has won one race in those three years. Michael hasn't won any. And uh, he was definitely... Um, he definitely had the inferior car that weekend in Austin. I suspect Mercedes has had pretty much given up on the season at that point and was devoting all their efforts to their 2013 car, which will start testing in about two months here over in Europe. So, um, yeah, Michael just didn't have the car, but uh, but he did go race again, and he got to scratch his itch, if you will, and, uh, and retired once again last week in Brazil, uh, never to return, one presumes. Oh, okay. Well, now talk about the Brazil race. Now that one that was under rain, and I think that race, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, ended in the caution or ended under a yellow flag. Right. Uh, and that was a pretty that was a pretty dicey race there too, because there were some issues about tires, you know, and the weather and and yep. uh, a couple of accidents. Spectacular show. They had on and off rain, so drivers went from slick tires, which are quicker than the treaded rain tires. They went back and forth between the two, and Sebastian Vettel with the thirteen point lead in the championship going in found himself turned around by another car at the first corner. He was lucky his car was able to continue and that he was able to finish high enough to hold on to that championship lead and clinch his third straight world championship. But Fernando Alonso in the Ferrari gave it everything he had, and with the help of his teammate letting him by, he moved from third into second, but he just needed more, and he wound up finishing just a handful of points behind Vettel for the world championship. But it was a spectacular race, as we often get at that circuit. Um... Uh, it was damp. Uh, it's a short track, so cars are never able to get very far away from one another. Uh, and it was it was good fun to watch. More good racing, like we saw the week earlier in Austin. Now um, Hamilton got taken out there towards the mm-hmm. end. I think it was only what, like five or six laps left. Uh, yeah, about that much. Yeah, he, he collided with the uh, Force India Mercedes of uh, Nico Hulkenberg, and that broke the left front suspension on Hamilton's McLaren, and, and that was it. Now, whose fault was that? I mean, I kind of watched that a little bit. It looked like well, he slid over and... and it, was, it was it was a racing incident. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg in the other car was leading a Grand Prix for the first time in his career. And as we mentioned, the, the conditions were changing. The drizzle started to fall. And, you know, he just leaned on the brakes going into the first turn and slid wide. And Hamilton happened to be there, and he, and he ran into him. I mean, it wasn't anything wasn't a matter of incompetence or deliberation. It was just a racing incident. Unfortunately, Hulkenberg got a drive-through penalty from the stewards, which which ruined his race, even though his car uh, had not been severely damaged the way Hamilton's was. Was that, I mean, did they give him the penalty because they felt that it was, it was his fault? Because that took him down uh, the lap. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, well, I guess they decided it was avoidable contact, but, you know, I disagreed with that entirely. In the previous race in Austin, Michael Schumacher drove Jensen Button, Lewis Hamilton's mm-hmm. teammate, practically into the weeds, uh, and the stewards did nothing. So, you know, occasionally um, some of us differ from the stewards in their opinion of, of what's a racing incident and what wasn't, because in Michael's case in Austin, it was absolutely deliberate that he almost drove the McLaren off the road. Well, he got uh, so 
close there. It looked like he was going to drive over his tires because he literally forced them out of the way. I saw that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, which is not exactly fair play in my book, but nobody asked me. I don't okay. get to uh, levy penalties. Well, that's more NASCAR, you know. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, okay, if you had to reflect back on the year of all the races, all the F1 races now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us like a little uh, short summary. I mean, what you, you know, the best race, the most exciting race. I mean, obviously towards the end, those races are more critical and stuff. But let's just say somewhere in the middle, you know, early, middle part of the season. I mean, did, did the outcome change dramatically? We've had spectacular racing all season long, and that has led to a bit of a debate within the fan community about what constitutes good racing. Uh, Is the DRS too gimmicky, even if it provides lots more thrilling passing? Uh, The KERS, the Kinetic Energy Recovery System, which gives the drivers a a power boost of about 75 horsepower for six seconds a lap after recapturing braking energy as electrical energy stored within the car, within the car. You know, some people consider that to be a bit too far out on the technological edge. Um, the tires, you know, Pirelli deliberately makes tires that degrade in order to encourage more pit stops, which leads to more shuffling of the order. I mean, is that all artificial? The drivers still have to drive the cars as hard as they can. And without question, the statistics prove that the last couple of years we've seen some of the best racing in decades in Formula One. Uh, for the best races, boy, oh, boy, um, I'd be hard-pressed. I think, uh, well, I think Brazil, our season finale, was one of the most exciting. Um, the, uh, the the European Grand Prix in Valencia, which is essentially a street race and normally doesn't give you great racing, but it did provide us with the first uh, multiple race winner of the year. We opened the season with seven different winners in seven races, which had never happened in Formula One to open a season before. And then Fernando Alonso won his second of the year uh, on home soil in Valencia, which was very emotional for everybody there and, um, and and broke the string of different winners. But it did set up the championship battle that developed all year long between Alonso and Vettel. And those two guys are about as different as they could be as personalities um, and nationalities. Um, the Malaysian race was a terrific one. Again, in combined wet-dry conditions, Alonso in the Ferrari that nobody thought was the match of any of the front-running cars won the race in the hands of Fernando Alonso, holding off one of the young stars of the series in Sergio Perez, who's going to replace Lewis Hamilton at McLaren next year because Hamilton is replacing Schumacher at Mercedes, which has everyone scratching their heads. Uh, just race after race, we saw just terrific battles. I don't think there was a boring race among them. Uh, the Spa Franker Show in Belgium was always a terrific run. Um, now, I think we can be satisfied that this was one of the best seasons we've seen in many years. The cars, do you think the cars are a lot safer now? Oh, absolutely. Without question, they are. Um, you know, the, the, the terrible days of 1994 when two drivers, Roland Ratzenberger and Ayrton Senna were killed on the same weekend at Imola in Italy. Um, those are long behind us now, touch wood. Um, the cars have advanced by leaps and bounds in terms of driver protection. The cars have gotten extraordinarily reliable, and that's something uh, different from years ago. I mean, nowadays, if we have one or two cars fall out of a race, that's extraordinary. Back in the 60s and 70s, it was not uncommon for more than half the field to drop out with one issue or another. So the cars are much, much better designed. The material technology 
is much greater. The tires are better. The brakes are better. Everything about these cars is better. And a lot of those things happen by rule because they're required to put extra driver protection in the car. Engines, you only get eight engines to do a 20-race season. You, your gearboxes have to last five Grand Prix weekends. Um, so the cars are built a little more stout. They're a little bit heavier than they used to be. And yet we still continue to break speed records at track after track, mainly due to the advances in uh, aerodynamics. And tire technology? And tire technology, sure. And the cars could go a lot faster, you know, if the tires were built to provide that extra speed. But um, in any form of racing, the rules makers and the engineers are always at odds. The rules makers trying to slow the cars down to keep them safe, and the engineers trying to make them sa- uh, faster to, uh, to win championships and provide thrills for the fans. And generally, the engineers win out, but it's fun to watch the fight. You know, it's interesting because I think we talked about this the last time, too, is do you think that they're going too fast? Do you think it could, it, it could reach that point where, look, these cars are going just way too fast? Because when you see them on these twisty turns, for example, like at the Circus of Americas, you know, and then that back after the straightaway and those in-and-out well, turns there, it's, they look, it almost looks like you speed the camera, sped the camera up. No, I don't think the cars are too fast, frankly. Um, we saw 200 miles an hour touched by a handful of cars at Circuit of the Americas, which over a you know, three-quarter mile straightaway is pretty remarkable. Um, these cars are tremendous, eh? and it seems to me you have to have that edge. They have to be difficult to drive. There has to be an element of danger. Certainly you want to make the cars as safe as you can, but you don't want to make them foolproof, as it were. And this is a delicate argument to uh, to make clearly. Um, you want to make the cars safe, but you also want to make them difficult. You know, there, there, there has to be something at stake here. And um, I think speed is the essential element in that balance. The cars have to be quick. You know, this can't be something. My old colleague David Hobbs used to say, you know, the, the, the unsophisticated fan thinks driving a modern racing car is just like driving your streetcar, only faster. And that could not be farther from the truth. These are, this is, it's a whole different set of physics. And these drivers are tremendous athletes. And so what they do has to remain difficult, I think, in order to, to hold the fascination of the fans. You have to be watching some guy do something that you think, gosh, I could never do that. I mean, I can't drive a golf ball as far as Tiger Woods. Uh, you know, I can't throw a nice tight spiral 70 yards downfield, and I could not drive a Formula One car around Monza or Spa Francorchamps at 165 miles an hour average speed going over 210 on the straightaways. That's that's just not something I could do, and that's part of the fascination, I think. Do you think that technology is going to advance? Well, I guess we're just about out of time here, but <laughs> quickly, I guess. You know, in other words, you know, at the, the rate of advancement, do you think because we're so far technically advanced that it's just going to, like, be incremental now as opposed to leaps and bounds the way it was over the last decade, for example? Well, it depends on what direction the engineers want to take te- technologically. Um, you can have a very tightly regulated series like NASCAR or IndyCar where everybody is basically, use, basically using the same equipment. Or you can loosen the strings a little bit, like in Formula One, where every team has to design and build its own car. That gives you a lot more scope for research and development. Uh, so it just depends on what you want in your in your in your race cars. 
Well, Bob, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening again. And I look forward to having you on next year, maybe after the 24-hour race. Give us a little play on that. And uh, I'd like to see you sometime between now and then. Obviously, I'll see you at Barrett-Jackson because you'll be at Scottsdale for that. That's right. Uh, I want to thank our listening audience. Our special guest for the evening was Bob Varsha. Bob, I want to thank you for coming on again. And I look forward to seeing you and wish you the best of luck to your uh, new TV program. Thanks very much. Okay, and everybody else, stay safe, drive carefully. We'll see you at Festivals of Speed, and love your family. And don't forget, tune in next week to the most fascinating and interesting and legendary people in the world of motorsports right here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay, WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay, KLRG, Sheridan, Little Rock, and FM 94.5, K233BF, Little Rock. NBC News Radio, I'm Alex Witt. President Obama is con-